0: Welcome back to your tech report. I am Marco Flalo in Montreal. As always, joined by Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles on Twitter. Follow along with us. It is at your tech report, Facebook.com slash your tech report. And of course our YouTube channel, Mitchell, is youtube.com slash your tech report online.
1: I knew that by the way, just in case you were wondering. I knew that.
0: That's why I do this every show, just to make yeah. sure and put you to the just to make sure. Thank uh, you. Mitchell, yes. there's a company that originally originally launched their service in nineteen ninety eight. Iridium is a company that I think most people would associate with satellite phones. Correct statement, I guess? No, no, absolutely. Absolutely Um, true. Funny enough, good fact, the first call on Iridium's network was actually made by the Vice President of the United States, Al Gore, to his wife, Tipper, thanks to technology supplied by Motorola. Now, fast forward many, many, many years, and through various ownership groups and corporate structural changes, we find Iridium today as an extremely major pillar in the communication industry. And when we talk about people being connected 24-7, That concept wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for a company like Iridium. Now, the reason I bring this up is because our next guest happens to be the CEO of said company. And I seeked him out specifically to talk more about the company and its impact on what we know today in terms of communication. And let's bring him on. Let's bring on Matt Dash, CEO of Iridium. Welcome to your tech report. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here, because to be perfectly honest with you, Matt, a couple of months back, I got a press release about Iridium launching the new set of its first new satellite constellation called Iridium Next, which took place back in January on SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket. So I dug a little deeper, and I wanted to see what you guys were up to these days, because I think consumer perception versus reality is somewhat different. And and given the state of communications today, I, I wanted to see what impact you guys, what you were doing now, had on communications as we know it. So I think that the broadest question i could possibly throw your way is uh matt what's new <laughs> <laughs> january was a big yeah. month for you guys and quite a lot of years in the making
2: it was it was um yeah i you know we our network now is getting to be almost 20 years old in may will be the anniversary of our first launch of our first satellites and in satellite years that's really really old so it needed to be replaced and uh we started that process about 9, 10 years ago. Um, it's, it's still the world's largest commercial satellite constellation, more satellites than anyone else has, all in low Earth orbit, whizzing around the Earth, all 66 of them, um, 14 times a day. And you know, providing a great service, but we needed uh, to put new powerful ones that would last another 15 to 20 years. So we we embarked upon that. We do call it Iridium Next. It's a complete replacement or a refresh of our network uh, with all brand new satellites. Each of these satellites is about the size of a Mini Cooper, so they're they're not insignificant. They're about a ton each, and uh, and we're going to launch 10 um, 10 satellites on each Falcon 9 launch. We got our first one off in January, as we said, it was awesome. Uh, all those satellites are operating very well, and. Providing service and then we got uh, seven more launches in the next 12 months, which is more than anyone else uh, is doing in the industry. So 75 new satellites to replace the 66 ones we have today. And uh, that means a lot of new services and capabilities that uh, that we haven't been able to do for the last 20 years, uh, you know, higher, higher, higher bandwidth, uh, tracking airplanes. We can talk about all kinds of stuff, but uh, that's really where we've been. And it'll be nice to stop spending money. I've been spending uh, $3 billion in the last seven years to do this. And when you like uh, stop hitting your head with a hammer, it feels really good um, to to not have to spend that kind of money and to be able to then deploy that and to uh, utilize it for the next 15 years
1: and to start reaping the rewards of that money that was invested, of course. Matt, for our listeners that are not familiar with satellite phone service, can you just talk a little about the difference between what people know as traditional cell service versus satellite phone?
2: Yeah, and and satellite phones was the original service that the service provided going back to 1998. It's uh, a phone that works anywhere in the world. I don't think most people realize that your cell phone uh, only covers a it only works in about 10% of the Earth's surface because that's where cell towers are. The other 90% of the Earth is, yes, water and air and mountains and the North Pole and lots of other places. But even even in places like the U.S., where I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, there's still probably 40% of the land mass that isn't covered with cell phone service. And people don't live there, but, you know, trucks go through it, airplanes go over it, um, uh, all kinds of assets, maybe oil and gas pipelines or wind farms or things like that, need to be monitored. So, um, a satellite phone is important. And these days, they're quite a bit smaller than when we started. They, they were like uh, that that phone that Maxwell Smart used to use. You know, was <laughs> a big giant, big in giant shoe. device when we started. Today, yeah. they're they're quite small. Um, in fact, a lot of people use our Iridium Go, which is really just a Wi-Fi hotspot that you're. Your iPhone or Android phone could call through, uh, and they work anywhere on the planet, and you can use them on a boat or on an airplane, or um, you know a- anywhere in the planet where cell phone coverage doesn't happen. But that's still that's only about thirty percent of our business now. Um, and and while there's new technology coming there and new phones, our our growth is really in other areas, more in providing internet connections onto ship and airplanes. and and almost half of our subscribers now of our almost 900,000 devices out there around the world are called Internet of Things devices or IOT as a lot of people are calling them. There's no people involved at all. They're connected to a train or a truck or an oil gas pipeline or a buoy or something to just create a two-way connection uh, to a machine of some type for monitoring it or tracking an asset or or uh, or doing something important uh, outside the cell phone uh, network so and that's where probably more of our growth is going these days.
0: Well, and that's and that's kind of where I wanted to take the conversation, too, because I think that a lot of people don't realize the impact in which your company has on them, because a lot of the impact, as you said, so, you know, uh, uh, the 70% there, um, are things they probably didn't even realize, things that make sure their packages get to where they need to get to and are tracked and, and are protected for insurance purposes, just monitoring, military, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of people don't realize how much of Iridium and, and how important that network is uh, around us. So in terms of the network itself, I mean, you're talking about 66 satellites, and that covers 100% of the entire planet, right?
2: Yeah, we're the only network provider that covers 100% of the planet. So there's no, no kind of, um, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing that really takes away from where you would be. Nobody, there's no disadvantages to anybody. If somebody sort of selects it, they don't have to say, what's your coverage map? Or, yeah, of <laughs> everywhere. countries you work or not work in? We work
0: everywhere. So, so talk to me about, about the experience about launching new satellites, because that seems to me one of these experiences that a, a, a regular, average, everyday Joe is never going to experience that kind of, I think, pressure and that kind of nail-biting experience, watching all this money that is invested put on someone else's rocket ship and being launched into space. I mean, <laughs> what, how is that experience? Well,
2: well, thanks for reminding me. Since I've just now recovered from it since, from January, I think.
0: Um, our insurance, nice our, our insurance will cover any kind of post traumatic stress. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. I have PTSD from that. No, it was uh, it was quite exciting, especially for us because when it happened on January fourteenth, and and we launch out of Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is I mean most people know of Cape Canaveral, but we also launch satellites in this country off the west coast. When you're polar orbiting like us, which means you're your orbit goes over the poles, uh, you have to launch from the west coast because you can you can fly south. You can't really do that out of out of Florida. So we were out there, um, and, and remember the previous launch of a SpaceX rocket blew up yep. in September, and there were four months there, and we were very comfortable that they'd fix the issue, but that just added to the drama and excitement as you wondered and, and made sure that that wouldn't happen to you. Each of these satellites is probably worth between 25 and 30 million dollars. If you kind of divide the con, and then you add in the oh 60 to 70 million dollars for a rocket, there's a lot of money sitting up on that hill, <laughs> on that rocket. And um, and you know we only have a one second launch window because we have to launch to a very specific plane in space because we want to be able to replace specific satellites. So you know everything has to be perfect at that moment. The winds can't be too high. And in fact, that morning I'm hearing there's a ship in the ocean that might be cutting through the the range and, you know, should we fly over it? I'm hearing that an umbilical cord maybe blew off in the middle of the night and they had to <laughs> put a person up there and replug it back in. So I'm beside myself by the time that they're going, you know, T-minus one minute and then and then counting down. Um, but it's spectacular when it happens. It's such a amazing sight to see this 20-story... Um, device fly up, you know, into space, and then see the booster disconnect and land on a barge, you know, 10 minutes later, um, and, and hit an X spot. If anybody's seen it online, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, uh, but but more importantly, to go and then see your satellites deployed one by one. We had 10 of them about 60 minutes later come off of a dispenser, and to see their heartbeat, you know, when they came over um, Norway, which was, uh, uh, the, the site, our control site, you know, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It was, it was just, um, there were a few people standing around me and afraid, afraid that I might fall to the ground, but I'm, <laughs> if you saw me, I'm quite large. You wouldn't be able to really catch me. I think, uh, but it was, it was a, it was a really awesome day.
1: You know what? I I mean, just hearing it, I mean, Mark and I are just like, You know, we're glowing, the excitement of something like this, and the stress, as you said, must have been off the charts. But there's another reason. I'm glad you're telling this story, Matt, because I think the average person, and whether it's the average uh, person or the average business person, military, whoever, they're just happy. Look, it works, we're happy, we don't need to know how it works. But the average person does not know what goes into making a product and its infrastructure work. And you hear something like this, and you realize there are so many months and years, and so many specific things that have to come together in harmony to make this product work. It's good to share this story because people don't know what goes into something like this or a product like this or a service like yours.
2: No, it, it is a lot of work, and it was it was years of development effort because you just don't buy satellites off the shelf. They don't just sort of come off of a line and then you put them into space. They're purpose-built for a function, and in our case, you know, no, normally, you're just building one or two to do something. In our case, we, they have to build 81 of them. So we are building them like cars uh, on a on a line, which doesn't happen very often. But they're still, no matter how hard you test them, there are thing You know, the ride to space is quite violent. Uh, it's quite loud. Uh, you know, things can shake off. Maybe it. What if it stuck to the dispenser after spending all that time and and money's building the structure that would hold them into space. What if it doesn't come off? What if the uh, solar panels don't unfold and, and catch the sun? So, you know, my, my hat's off to the technical team who put all the work and effort to to build and test them, but they've worked flawlessly ever since they've uh, – when they did come off, they, they worked perfectly. They're working really well today, and uh, we only have 65 more to launch now. So I have to go through this. <laughs> Was oh, that all? No, yeah, yeah, I got uh, <laughs> seven more launches, and uh, the next one's in June, and then we have one in August, and one in October, December, February, you know, et cetera, so we got a lot of launches still planned.
0: Now, Matt, you, you, we, you know, earlier we talked about the fact that the existing satellites that are in orbit are 18 years old now, and when those were originally designed, they, I mean, the, the plan was what, a five to seven year shelf life normally on, on a satellite, right? So what do you what do you do with these satellites that are no longer in commission?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, when they were designed, I mean, back in the 90s, there was this sort of belief that this was going to be so successful, so quickly that they would need to replace them. So they really didn't need to build them with to high tolerances. But I, I give uh, the builders a lot of credit, uh, people at Motorola at the time that, that that did that, because they sort of over-engineered them because they were moving so fast. And they had, and. Uh, and, and they made them very flexible, so we've been able to do a lot of things to them to extend their life and make them work. Now that they're used up, what you don't want them to do is stay in space. We're, we're only 485 miles up, which is very close in terms of uh, satellites. Uh, most people know the International Space Station. It's a little bit below us at about 250 miles, but we're only up about twice as high as that. Most satellites are out there about uh, 25,000 miles away or 50 times further. So our 485 miles, even if we did nothing to those satellites, would stay up there 100 100 years. So you really got to take them out of space by, we have a lot of extra fuel on them, and as we replace them satellite by satellite, we de-boost them. So what we do is we turn their thrusters, we slow them down, we bring them down over a couple of days, making a few burns, uh, and we kind of change their orbit in such a way that over the period of about a year, they'll catch in the atmosphere. And when they do, they'll, they'll burn up in the atmosphere, um, and we sort of dispose of them that way so that there's no debris in space for, you know, hurting any, any other satellite assets that anyone else has or the International Space Station or anything else. You know, because we have to be good stewards in space with such a big satellite constellation, we just don't want to um, have things that we're not using anymore stay up there for a long period of time.
1: Uh, Matt, I, I wish you could see the look, because, you know, Mark and I are in two different cities, two different coasts, two different countries, and we're, we're on Skype while we're doing the show together. I wish you could see the look on both of our faces, because our jaws are dropped. It looks, it sounds like we're listening to some futuristic or watching a futuristic sci-fi book, novel show. The technology is absolutely incredible.
2: No, it is cool. I, I, <laughs> it's The fun thing about uh, businesses and space is it's about physics and, and things that move, and that you can see, and you can kind of understand them. You know, I've I've had my whole career uh, in telecommunications and IT and internets and everything. And, you know, those boxes have lights blinking on them, but you really don't see them move. Our stuff moves. It moves at 17,000 miles an hour. Um, and uh, it does very important things and saves lives as, as it provides connections to people that aren't there. And, and that's exciting. It's an exciting, exciting thing to be part of.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So, so let's take it out of the uh, the scientific kind of geeky mode, because I think that I could probably stay here for another hour. Um, it, coming back to consumers for a second, you know, we talked about the handsets and how they've evolved. But, you know, much like traditional handsets, you know, they've gotten sleeker, more portable, more accessible. And you said, as you said, the Iridium Go device is like a, a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, but I think there's a misconception out there that it's it's still extremely expensive to own one of these devices. Can you kind of dispel that a bit? Because I know that thanks to obviously enhancements in network, et cetera, et cetera, it's not far fetched for someone who you know ventures out of cell cell signal more often to actually carry one of these devices.
2: Yeah, no, and you know we have oh two hundred some thousand devices out there um, that are, are satellite phone like devices, and many probably another. Um You know tens if not more thousands of devices like the garmin garmin devices that you can buy from a Cabela or an r e i or some place like that to take with you on a on a hiking trip or camping trip that are hundreds of dollars at most um, and for which probably cost you know tens of dollars at most per month to utilize and, and provide you a connection if you're out um, uh, far away so it's not really that expensive. When we first started it were, they were thousands of dollars and cost uh, many tens of dollars per month to run, but they're, they're not like that anymore. Um, a lot of people have them on their boats uh, when they're out of coverage. Um, they have them on in their airplanes, even small airplanes. Um, they're used by campers, hikers, um, n- you know naturalists, obviously scientists, uh, lots in the hands of first responders, um, they're not necessarily used every day because there are systems at work, but fortunately our our ground-based infrastructure blows down in hurricanes or, or storms um, and other natural disasters can do it, so you find that uh, when something really bad happens, we're probably the only thing that works for the first three or four days. Um, you know hurricane katrina was a big advertisement for us on the south coast cuz people never thought something like that would happen but i mean during katrina there was something like 250 square miles where there was nothing working i mean no cell towers no ground systems couldn't even communicate to people as to where to put uh, the generators and things that they were bringing in or where the fuel was needed or what people needed to be saved for so for you know a week or so Uh, If it wasn't for satellite phones, there wouldn't be anything. Same in Haiti, same in Japan when there was the tsunami. So we're we're definitely known in disasters, but more and more I think people are taking us on the road with them as a safety device. Um, I know a lot of executives are sort of, with some banks and other companies, are sort of required to take them along so that they, uh, in critical business, um, uh, can be reached. And um, and you find a lot of people, you know, there's like a lot of applications now that don't even have a satellite phone. It would be like a man down application where you're in a hazardous environment. you got a little device that you just push the button to let people know that, you know, you, you're, you're safe. You know, it doesn't take much. Um, the technology isn't really that large and can be packaged into very small devices that can be embedded in a truck or carried along. In fact, in the military, they're looking to sew. Trackers and things like that into the uniforms of, of uh, deployed infantry, so that you can really see where everyone is. Um, you know, our our technology is being uh, it, it's utilized to send information, even to protect the GPS systems right now, provide an alternative timing signal because that's a that's a fragile sort of thing. So. Um, I don't even know all the ways that our technology is being <laughs> deployed because there's hundreds of companies that are sort of now taking us and putting us in things. and Because uh, we don't really sell our technology directly to the to the consumer. It really kind of goes through a lot of technology partners who really just want a network that they can kind of plug into and, and provide their customers uh, information.
0: Well, I wanted to wish you all the best of luck with the future launches. I mean, we're excited to see all these new kind of uses especially with the new constellation once it's fully up and running i mean i think the future really is limitless in terms of the different applications that we can see uh, in the future and i want to thank you for honestly taking the time to join us because you opened our eyes a bit and i wish we could probably talk for another couple hours about you know all the all the physics element of it and the space element of it but uh, our listeners probably get bored of us by then
1: i'm matt kundel host of the sound off podcast the show about podcast and broadcast